I don't wanna wait for our <laughs> You all know that you were saying that in your head. <laughs> Welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 112. My name is CJ Schrader, and with me, as always, my two forward-moving co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Hey, this is Jess. And Brian Brilliman. Hello, I will never counter-target spell or untap up to four lands. I get it. Yeah. That card was sweet. <laughs> uh, we have a very special guest on with us today. We have former host of the show and all-around good guy, Ricky Hayashi. Hello, I'm Ricky Hayashi. I love backs and I cannot lie. <laughs> this episode, very odd. Uh, <laughs> this episode is going to be all about game rule violations and rewinds. But you guys know what I noticed? Even though we all call them rewinds, or at least most people I know, the IPG, I think, only refers to it as backing up. Yep. The word rewind does not appear in the IPG. Wait, do most people call it a rewind as opposed to a backup? I call it a rewind. Interesting. Yeah, call it a rewind too. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's regional. It might be. It might be regional. Yeah, because I like, surely I was taught rewind. If that's what Brian and do you do you say rewind or backup, Ricky? I say backup, but yeah, I'm, maybe I'm pretty exact. I also don't use the word offsetting because that word only appears in the appendix for like the change log, but does not appear in the the text of the IPG for you know two game losses. Well, that's, delivered simultaneously. That's a, that's a like a football term where you just go there offsetting penalties. Yeah, I, I never yeah, would have thought to call that an really? offset, but I guess because I don't watch football. Oh, like do it's... do we count these for the match? Like, what's the match score? And if you read the actual part of the IPG, it says that if you issue two game losses simultaneously, they do not count towards the match score, which like tells you exactly what to do. Right. I've I've sometimes described it as a push. Yeah. <laughs> And people seem to understand that also. So this episode is about game rule violations. No, no, let's talk about let's talk about uh, deck deckless problems some more. Let's talk about football, game rule violations, poker, blackjack. Like all of our episodes that are dedicated to one small section of the IPG, we should mention that this everything we're about to say only applies at competitive REL. Although whether whether or not to do a backup slash rewind. Uh, also applies at regular REL, but the infraction game rule violation is only at competitive REL and professional. Also, I guess uh, the date is February 10th, 2015. So it's what we're saying is current as of then. If you're listening to this in February 10, 2016, uh, might be different. Uh, sure. So speaking of backups, or like which I, I compare to time travel. Yeah. And the year 2015, this is finally, finally the year of the future and back to the future. I can't wait. 30 years later. So all those fake memes that you saw about the, the time the uh, time circuits, like this is the actual year. So hoverboards abound. Do you know the date? Because uh, I, I don't. I, it's not trivia. I, I, I say it was it. like October, October 15th. Because the problem is if I try to look it up, I can, I can find any day of this year. I can find someone find, saying it's any day of this year, so who knows? I want to say it was like October 15th. I know the day in the past was November 5th, 1955. I do know that. Wait, was it 5th or 12th? I don't know it was 5th. I don't know. Anyway. Well, well I mean, you know, we can just maybe I'm, maybe we can discuss it on our way to go see Jaws 19. Jaws 19. 
We lost the trivia question because we didn't know it was 19 specifically. We did? I did. Me and my, oh. me and my, my real friends. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, game rule violations. <clears throat> so game rule violation, it's kind of a, uh, I would call it a catch-all infraction. Um, basically, if you're going through all the gameplay errors and none of the others apply, either one of two things is true. Whatever you're investigating right now, it's either a game rule violation or there's a chance it's just not an infraction at all. <clears throat> So what, are, so what are some examples of game rule well, violations? So it's it, it's still a, it's a gameplay error. Like tournament errors might be, you know, they're a different category. So if you're investigating that a rule, a gameplay error occurred, and it's not any one of the other categories, drawing extra cards or looking at extra cards or miss trigger or something like that. Sorry. So what are some examples of game rule violations? Do tell me. Uh, I attacked with a creature the turn I played it. Yeah, or you cast a spell for the wrong mana. That one happens a lot. Yes, I did, I did that one last year in Standard. I cast a turn to a Burning Tree Emissary, and then the trigger gives you a red and a green mana, uh -huh. and I tried I tried to cast cast a uh, Ash, Ash Zealot, which is red and red. Uh -huh. It was the first time I'd ever played that deck, and I was like, oh, because I, I thought it made like hybrid hybrid, because it costs hybrid hybrid. Oh. Yep. So yes, casting mana. I, I I cast tried to cast Ash Zealot with the wrong mana and received my warning. Uh, not taking a damage from a pain land is one I've seen a lot, right, Jess? Uh yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, I did don't that. Pay, I don't play with pain lands. <laughs> yeah, I have. I've played with pain lands. Yeah. Um, that one happened so much. Yeah, I was picking. Yeah, it's Jess, really bad because it happened at the PTQ we were at a little bit ago. And I got the call. For some reason, I got like all the Jess calls. I don't know why. No, well, no, actually, you didn't. I oh. got, I had, uh, you had a lot of calls. I just had a lot of calls. Yeah. All right, a Jess call ascendancy. <laughs> it was a Jess call ascendancy. Yeah, that's a bad pun. <laughs> um, which, by the way, the pain lands are not triggers. I, for some reason, I've heard quite a few judges say, "Oh, that's a missed trigger," but. <laughs> Whoa. I don't know why. Really? I, I, well, are they confusing it with City of Brass, maybe? Because that's yeah, well, there are a lot. There are a lot of the life gain ones are triggers. Uh huh. Yeah, so I don't might, know. Um, I don't know. And also, say you lightning bolt a bear cub, but then you don't put it in the graveyard. That would be another example of a game rule violation. Basically, you violated the game rules in some way that is not covered by the other infractions. Yeah, you got dis uh, not discarding at end of turn, playing mm -hmm. a second land. Uh, those are all ones that I've seen frequently. I've also had that happen to me. So I think we'll start with the generic here, and then we'll move into closer specifics. But uh, for most game rule violations, when they occur, you basically have two choices. Now, there are some exceptions to this, but you generally have two choices. Either you rewind the entire game state to the point of the error and let it replay since then. So rewind to the error, fix the error, of course, and play forward from there. Or you leave the game as is. In general, there are no partial fixes. And we will explain soon when you can do a partial fix, but those are the only times you can do a partial fix. It doesn't matter how like tempting it is. When there's a game rule violation out there, no partial fixes unless it's one of the ones the IPG specifically states we can do. But before we got to that, I wanted to talk about rewinds. So how do you rewind the game? Uh, you ask the head judge. Yes, that's actually very important, and I should have added that to the notes. Yes, you never rewind a game without going to the head judge first. Right. So, but if you're uh, the head judge... Now, the head judge can delegate that to, to other judges. Sure. Uh, you'll see that frequently at very large events like Grand Prix. 
uh, your team lead or a level three judge may be able to authorize a backup because there are so many judges that tracking down the head judge for every single backup is not a good idea. Um, and then the rule of thumb now at, at Grand Prix and Star City Opens is is if, if you want to get a backup approved, you go to an L3 that's not me. That's what it's become. Why won't you do it? Because you're scorekeeping? No. No, because no, he, I, just, like, he doesn't like to approve backups? I, I talk about this subject enough, which is why I presume I'm a guest today. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, and and I'm, I'm notably very conservative on the, the topic of backups. So I, I'm, I've approved a few, but a lot of the times, like, I'll talk to the judge and ask him a few questions, and then the end of the conversation will be, so you're not going to back this up, are you? Like, no, you're right. I'm not. Like, good. I'm glad we had this talk. <laughs> so let's talk about rewinds. Like, when, when should you decide to rewind? Backup. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, well, you should do a backup, like, uh, you know, basically you should look at the game and say, is leaving the game the way it is worse than backing up to the point where the error occurred? And a very large portion of the time, the answer is no, it's not worse. So so, so many times, you, you shouldn't just default to backing up. Like You should look at it and go, can we just leave the game the way it is? And how bad would that be? Because often backing up, especially if it's been a while since the infraction occurred, is going to be detrimental to the, to the game. Too much information will be gained or or the game could go a different direction. It, cause, it could cause problems. Like, right. there, there are a lot of things that could happen there. So the, the, perfect, the perfect backup, and we talk about like this, this fictitious, the, the perfect backup is one that you go back, you fix the, the error is, the, you, you back up to the point of error, the error is fixed, and then the game's going to move on and is going to take the, and is going to follow the exact same path uh, minus, minus the error. I mean that is kind of the ideal perfect backup, and when you're looking when you're looking at backups, that's that's the situation that you're looking for is no branching decision trees, no changes. You know, you go back, fix the error, and then the game's going to almost be able to fast forward back to the point in which you were called. So you you don't want a situation where you back it up and the game takes a completely different path because the guy's like, oh well, now I know he has a mana leak, so. I'm not gonna cat. I'm not gonna play into it, right? Or now I know he has this wrath, wrath of God that he cast. Uh, so I'm not gonna play out more creatures. Like th there are many times when you start to do a back. Oh, the other thing is things can get complicated. You know, if you do a backup, uh, sometimes it's just not possible to do a backup because maybe libraries have been shuffled or uh, cards aren't in play that should be in play. Like it, there are just a lot of reasons. So uh, yeah. So let's say let's say. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna. I was gonna say that's a really good point. So with re with regards with regard to backup, backing up, some you are when you back up, you are returning the game to the exact state it was at the point the error occurred. Okay. Right. You not you had, not you approximately. Had, yeah. You know, or or yeah. Or, um, so so that bear cub has you know three damage marked on it. It didn't die. Um, we want to move right back to that exact point when it should have died. As an example. Right. We we reverse. Every single action that occurred up to the point at which we're backing up, uh, which is usually the vast majority of the time, the point of the error. Now, you can also do backups for a few of like communication policy violations, which is an entirely different topic. But which we have an episode on, actually. We do. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you have to rewind creatures attacking, you want to have all the creatures that attacked. If you rewind casting a spell, you rewind the whole thing. So, so let's 
let's just do an example real quick. I cast, I, I tap, um, I think I'm tapping a, a blue-black land, and instead I, I tap a, uh, uh, a black-red land to cast Ponder. And I take the shuffle option, and I draw a card. Okay. Okay, can we rewind through that or back up through that? It would be, I, I feel like it would be a very bad idea. Right, because because undoing that, undoing that shuffle, undoing getting those three cards back on top, all that good stuff, you you cannot do it. And the player can be like, "Oh well, you know, I had these three cards on top." No, we're not going to take your word for it. Right, a non-zero percent of the time, somebody will be lying to you. It may not be this guy, but somebody will be. So we have no way of verifying that this is true. Who were you pointing so at just... when you said this guy? I kind of, I kind of imagined you having both your thumbs. <laughs> yeah, this, this guy. guy who's got two I mean, thumbs and will be, be lying at you. Yeah, it may not be the guy who cast the ponder, but but somebody, you know, if you're just always trusting the players, somebody's going to take advantage of that. So we we have to only go off what we can observe and what the players have seen and can agree on. Uh, lying if, right now, Jess. So if you don't, um, well, we did actually. So I was on uh, I was on Monday Night Magic yesterday, and we did establish that that judges don't have to tell the truth. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, we did, but it was, I was joking. Um, <laughs> Were you? I was. I was, I was lying about it. I know I can exactly. trust you now. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I I totally lost track of where I was. But the point is that you have to only go when, you, when you're backing stuff up. You can't take the player's word for it about things like that, like the the with the ponder example Brian came up with. Like what card was what card? I just drew a card. Oh, well, it was this card. This yeah. is the card that I drew. Now, uh, uh, a, a minor, a minor tweak to you know, it's like, well, we can't, we can't put the game exactly back the way, or to put the game exactly back the way it is. If the GRV the uh, resulted in, uh, if the rewind is going to rewind through card draws, okay, so I pay the wrong mana for a spell that allows me to draw a card, divination, divination, and I draw some cards from divination. And I paid the wrong mana, and we need to rewind to that point. Now, uh, the rewind for drawn cards is you are going to take random cards from that person's hand because you can't trust what they say is what they drew, and you are going to put those cards back on top. But Brian, why isn't that drawing extra cards? Well... Since you brought it up. Okay, sure. So while we say that that GRV is kind of like a a fall-through for all the other infractions if it's not some other one. Um, drawing extra cards actually has a clause in front of it that amongst other things, one of the things it says is um, if a GRV immediately preceded uh, the drawing of extra cards, then it's not drawing extra cards. However, in this case, okay, there wasn't the, you cast a spell illegally, but the spell, once it's been illegally cast, legally resolved. Uh, that's a that's a tough distinction sometimes to make. It's I illegally cast the spell, but now that both players have kind of acknowledged it's on the stack and they've had an opportunity to catch the error, we're continuing forward. And the spell did resolve. Divination did resolve, and I drew my cards. This also prevents the other player from playing gotcha, where he goes, "Oh, he didn't pay for the that with the right mana. I'll just wait until he draws the cards, so it's a game loss penalty, right? Like we don't want anybody to play that game, so." We, we don't want to incentivize them to do so. Yeah. Now, one of the things to, to concern concern yourself with is if you are rewinding, especially especially with things like uh, uh, card draws and stuff like that, is what else might be out there? 
you know that uh, uh, I think Ricky, you had a, you had an example that you were taking around Star City Opens, right? Involved involving potentially rewinding through a card draw. Yeah. So this is this actually happened at um, this actually happened at the Star City. Oh no, it was probably before that. I don't remember when it happened. Oh, it was a PTQ. It was a PTQ here in Portland. Um, I think it was modern last year, like last April-ish. A player cast a cryptic command at the end of their opponent's turn, and I think they they did something like bounce and draw, right? And the opponent says, okay, it resolves. You know, bounce the permanent, draw a card, and then they go to untap their lands. Like, oh, one of the lands I just used to cast this cryptic command is a scalding tarn. Like, they noticed when they went to untap because they put their hands on it. Judge! And um, one of one of my floor judges came to me, said, hey, this just happened. And I think, you know, we had the talk about, well, is it drawing extra cards or not? You know, just like you were saying, Brian, we determined it wasn't. And then, okay, the, the judge was like, okay, I would like to, to back this up. And it's like, no, you can't back this up. Well, why not? Well, there's a fetch land, like the Scalding Tarn that they use to illegally cast the spell is in play. And, you know, the the prescribed fix or prescribed backup for the card draw that was drawn off of Cryptic Command is to put a random card back on top of your library, right? <laughs> and if you do that... You're taking a random card from their hand, putting it on their library, untapping the lands that they use to cast Cryptic Command, and now we're back at this game state where they have a Cryptic Command in hand, a Scalding Tarn in play, and a random card from their, their hand back on top of their library. What do you think is going to happen? What is the what, what are the potential things that a player may or may not do in this situation? And... and and it like it was very clear that, that the judge in this situation and many judges I've talked to about this situation don't think about that part. Like what happens when we go back in time, we fix the time stream, and then we restart the time stream? Like, we end up with dragons on Tarkir. Like, that's a very important part of this discussion. Yeah, exactly. Like you go back and save Ugin's life and all of a sudden dragons everywhere. Like what the hell? Like this isn't the Tarkir I knew, right? <laughs> and and so like the things that might happen in this situation are, yeah, they may sacrifice a Scalding Tarn, get a land, and cast a Cryptic Command anyway, right? Well, if they do that, then they have just lost access to that random card that you put back because you have to shuffle for the Scalding Tarn. Now, it could have been, you know, by chance, the random card that they had drawn uh, illegally or legally, but not that they were supposed to, right? But it could be something else. And so that opens up the possibility that if that something else is really important to that player, like it's a combo piece that they were holding in their hand, they may not even cast the Cryptic Command. They may not crack the Scalding Tarn because they're like, I need that card back. I need to not crack my fetch land now and draw that card for my turn to get it back. And that's just like a completely different game we're playing now than, than the game of Magic that we're playing. And, and it's because of our involvement as a judge. And, and that's why uh, I strongly advised against, and I was the head judge, so I could just say no, uh, against backing <laughs> up in that situation. So, so the IPG discourages us from saving Ugin's life. Oh. So, Ricky, let me ask you, with... Poor Ugin. Ricky. <laughs> uh, so let's say they had cast that cryptic command and drew a card, and that card they drew was the only card they had in hand. 
<clears throat> Would you rewound then? Um, probably not. Yeah. Because even it, even in you know the where you know the card you're returning now that player has that knowledge that future knowledge that that card on top of their library is X and that could still lead to a very different decision different tree decision of crack, crack, not, not cast the cryptic not crack yeah. the fetch because I want to draw that card. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So or that, that has been brought up in discussion. Yeah. All right. And and then ultimately. It's like, well, so the other choice, you know, we've been talking about is leave the game state as is. Yes. That they have cast this cryptic command illegally off of a fetch land. And now we're at this point where they're about to start their, their next turn. And you have to ask yourself, like, what is the damage done? Yeah, they got to cast their cryptic. But if they had fetched correctly, like, they could have, they could have legally cast it anyway. So currently, like the damage done is that they didn't pay a life to crack the fetch land. Um, maybe they're not going to take two damage from from a, a dual a shock land, and and they might be able to use that fetch land strategically later, right, to manipulate draws. But but that you know that's I, I feel like those those possibilities are are much less damaging to the game state than trying to back up and then giving the player this essentially free brainstorm off of something that we're doing. And, and that's, that's, where, that's where I feel things get icky is when our involvement in something like this gives a, a player these new play options. And then it feels like we're kind of interlopers in this game and, and, and meddling with it. So now there's, a, there's a, another school of thought here, and I want to get into this specifically that might say to just go get an island and put it into play instead. Right? Like, why... Yeah, okay. Why, why can't we... Uh, why don't we do partial fixes like that? Partial backups. There are some people who would, and of course, per the IPG, that would be a deviation. Um, there's a very famous story that may or may not be true, but I'm going to posit that it's true as like a boogeyman story. But a judge offered this partial fix. It was like, oh, like you tapped a fetch land to cast a spell. Just just crack the fetch land and go get your land. Well, this was like turn 15 and the, the player picks up his library. He's like, I don't have any more lands I can fetch with this fetch land. And then what do you do then? Then you're just like completely SOL. <laughs> Soul ring. Yes, you are completely I, soul ring. Completely I, soul I ring. have I have seen cases where players have cracked fetch lands to go get lands, and then there's yeah. nothing, nothing left. Not, nothing left. So, 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 so to answer your question, Jess, I mean, it, it's a very natural fix, and I think at regular REL there isn't too much damage if you try to do something like this. But from, from the IPG standpoint, we have to value consistency and the ability to get good fixes anywhere with any judge in any situation. And it would be very difficult to write that policy as like, well, as a partial fix, you know, make them fetch a, fetch a land now unless like you believe that they don't have any left. And then what are we going to do? Like have judges look at the library before trying to decide if they want to do this partial fix? It would be, I think, it would be very difficult to to get that policy consistent for the worst case scenarios, which are frankly like 
more more common than you would expect i think i think we've all seen players who have have fetched and then failed to find because the game's just gone so long and you know they've lost count or or i had a situation where i actually drew the the card drew the last fetchable land and then didn't realize it and then fetched yeah so it, it happens okay i just wanted to make the point that that partial fixes are not a thing that's that we can do in these kinds of situations. Yeah, and we'll talk about them a little more. So, so let me let me posit a question from the opponent's standpoint. So, I'm a player. My opponent has just bounced my guy, okay, and and drew a card. And the judge comes up, and the judge says, uh, "We're going to leave the game as it is." Okay, me, I hear that, and I was like, "No, I want my guy back." If he wasn't able to cast that spell. Or do that, whatever it is that he did. If he wasn't supposed to be able to do that, I don't want it. Um, uh, I want it back. So how is how is leaving it? How is leaving it alone? Or so let's say you make the decision to rewind, and I look at that and I was like, I don't like that either. Okay, I think he should get a game loss. Why? How is this fair that he's able to do this? So the way I answer those kinds of concerns is to let the players know that it's both players responsibility to keep the game state correct and there is no way we can fix this situation that comes out to a perfectly correct game state and that in this case backing up or not backing up as the case may be leads us to the most correct game state Uh, if both players had kept the game state correct as they are supposed to we wouldn't have been in this situation in the first place i don't say that part usually but the, the, that's the case. So if both if both players had been paying attention, we wouldn't have been in this situation to begin with. So, you know, it's not just a matter of, well, it was one guy's fault. And yeah, that's very tactful. So in the in the show notes, I wrote, <laughs> you did this to yourself, but please be more more tactful. Yes. And, and that was very tactful. Yes, just, yes. Yeah, like the fact is like both players did this to the game state. They allowed this illegal thing to happen. Like if you didn't want your opponent to cast a cryptic command off of a scalding tarn and draw a card then you shouldn't have let him like i these days especially in standard i always look across the board like when my opponent casts something just to make sure like they cast the spell with the correct lands and not they're not supposed to take pain like you should always look at what your what your opponent's doing with their lands but judge i wasn't watching what he was doing i was thinking about what i was going to do that doesn't make a difference. Yes, that, that is the problem here. Yes, yes, that's exactly the problem. That doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. So I was I was glad because Brian suggested this idea, I think, first for this episode. And I was glad because I did what I would call a bad rewind during the uh, PTQ a couple weeks ago. And I'd like to discuss it. <clears throat> it's a bit of a spoiler to say it's a bad rewind, but we'll see. <laughs> so a player well, had... in my opinion, they're all bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> A player, yeah, I don't think you're going to like this one. A player had a bow of Nylia out, and um, basically what had happened was at the end of their opponent's turn, they used the fourth mode, which says put up to four target cards from from your graveyard on the bottom of your library in any order. Oh. <clears throat> they did that, but they shuffled them in. Then he passed the turn. Opponent draws a card, passes the turn back. Uh, the bow of Nylia pl- player draws another card. And then, um, no, sorry, when he passes the turn back, at the end of his next turn, he uses the bow again, and he shuffles them in. And it's at this point that a spectator's like, you're supposed to put those on the bottom. Uh, so judge is called. I um, I get over there as the head judge because we're talking about a rewind now. <clears throat> and I look at the state, and I'm going to be honest. I, I, go, I go, my eyes get wide because I see that they both only have one card in hand. They both have no fetch lands out. Like, 
they both did a draw go turn uh, with the exception of the bow Nylia being activated. So I'm like, we can rewind this. Um, so I, I go crazy and I actually go as far as to rewind up to the first bad activation of bow Nylia because they can also both, both tell me which cards were supposed to go on the bottom because it was public information. So they can both tell me that. Um, also, one of the players is very upset because he feels like that Ugin shouldn't be shuffled into the Bow of Nylia player's library. So I rewind. I put the cards, uh, well, I set the cards in their hands aside because I'm going to shuffle the Bow of Nylia's player's library. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to shuffle the card he drew in there. I want to put that one back on top so that we go back to the same place. Uh, and I rewind and I put four cards uh, on the bottom, the four that they originally agreed on. And then the four cards from the second activation I put back in the graveyard. And, uh, and I'm feeling really good about myself, except for halfway through this rewind, I was like, this was a horrible mistake. I should not have been done this rewind. Can you guys tell me why? Because I have two reasons. He drew a card, right? Well, no, not the fact. The fact that he drew a card is one of them because he could have drawn one of the cards he shuffled in the first time. Yeah. So that was a mistake. But secondly, nothing is forcing him to use the bow the second time now. I realize like he can go on a completely different decision tree. Yeah, because so. if he felt like if he thought it was supposed to shuffle, like he has an opportunity to redraw. Putting yes. him on the bottom of your library doesn't really help you that much unless you can shuffle your library. Yeah, I got a little too focused on the the opponent who was very upset that that Ugin was shuffled in and not on the bottom, and uh, and uh, I just I wasn't thinking it through until I was halfway through the rewind. So I went ahead and completed the rewind, but I was like, that was not a good rewind. So that's what what we caught. Bad rewind examples time with Professor Schrader. Really important to make sure you get all the details before a rewind. Yeah. Uh, sometimes players won't tell you things because they don't think they're relevant. So f- as an example, um, I once had a, a, a GP San Jose, not this one that just happened, the one that happened several years ago. I had a player call me over to the table and he goes, so judge, uh, I attacked with this guy that was supposed to be detained. And I go, okay, well... What have we done since then? And he said, well, I attacked with the guy. It dealt damage. I passed the turn. And my opponent, where my opponent's upkeep, he put the trigger on the stack that detains my guy, which reminded me I wasn't supposed to attack with it. And then we called a judge. And I went, okay, so that's all that's happened. And they go, yeah, that's nothing else has happened. They go, okay, great. This sounds like a clean rewind. We, you know, we haven't even drawn a card. It seems mm-hmm. very straightforward. And uh, so I go get, uh, at the time I was a level two judge, so I go get a, an L3 plus judge to verify that I'm going to do a rewind uh uh or backup rewind whatever you want to call it and i said hey w- w- i'm gonna do this and he goes okay well let's go find out so he goes and asks the same questions gives the same answers and walks away and then i go okay so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna back up the game to this point and they go oh well well so he cast this combat trick and then i cast this counter spell and they had a whole bunch of they had like two or three different spells they'd cast in the middle of combat that they hadn't mentioned previously yeah <laughs> and and so I ended up not rewinding the situation, even though I initially had said I was going to. So the, the two lessons we learned from that are, first of all, make sure you get all the details and you're very specific in your questions. And second of all, sometimes when you get the details, it's OK to change your mind to say, you know what? Actually, too much has happened here. Yeah, unfortunately, I had all the details and I just kind of messed it up. <laughs> I, I had the all, the all the details and I shouldn't have done it. It's just halfway through. Um, I do want to ask you guys, though, for the Bow of Nylia, like I think it would have been OK to rewind to the second activation. I take those second batch of cards that they agreed on what they were and putting those on the bottom. 
but I, I couldn't have fixed the first mm. activation. But I, I don't see any issue rewinding the second activation because it, it had just happened when I was called. Yeah, that's an interesting. I would have to read up. Let's see. Yeah, I think uh, you can. I think that's fine. Like, <clears throat> I, I think it's. I think it's probably a safe backup. Uh, not having been there, I can't say whether I would have done it or not. Sure. But uh, from the way you described it, I think it sounds like it would be a safe backup. Yeah, because the cards are much more fresh in their mind and everything. Uh, but is that same a partial time, though? Yeah, that that actually now that I'm thinking about it, what Ricky bring, brings up a very good point. No. Because... Well, if you look at it, as two infraction two infractions were committed. Okay, the, and you're rewinding the same root cause. It is the same root cause. So what it's, it says, to perform a backup, each individual action since the point of the error is reversed. And it obviously doesn't specify if there are multiple errors. So, I, so I'm only saying put, put four cards on the bottom, not eight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, like let's, let's separate them temporally, okay? Like, let's say he'd done it once on turn five and then was doing it again on turn 18 and we caught it on turn 18 like right as it was happening mm-hmm. i'm 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 not gonna try and say like oh well i can't rewind this problem that you just did on turn 18 because you also did the same problem on turn five yeah yeah that's fair okay that's what i'm feeling i, I can get behind this sure so anyway let's talk about partial fixes though that's our next topic Okay. I like I like the partial fixes. I think in the hierarchy of things, and you guys can disagree with me here, but I think in the hierarchy of things, if you see a game rule violation, uh, you should first check to see if one of these partial fixes applies and you could do it. Secondly, yeah. I would evaluate whether or not it's okay just to leave the game state as is. And then third, see whether or not a rewind. Right. So, so this actually... They cleared this up just recently mm-hmm. uh, within the last few months because prior to this point... You had like two sentences. One indicated uh, uh, do the partial fix, you know, like make the determination as to whether or not you were going to back up and rewind or, or back up or leave as is. And if you decided to leave as is, then check to see if you did a partial fix. And another sentence seemed to imply do the partial fix first. Uh, and then if you if you can't do a partial fix, do the rewind. So they clarified the language. So it is determine whether or not you can do a partial fix. If so, do it. If not, then determine whether or not to back up or uh, or leave as is. And yeah, then this, this, this changed, didn't it? It did, uh, like two iterations ago. And one of the things, it's, it's actually surprising because when you'll get even L2s out on the floor, you'll say like, what are the partial fixes for GRVs? And they're like, uh, uh, can I get a hint? Phone a friend, lifeline. There used to be a lot more too. Yeah, they've condensed it down. Uh, and and the and even like because there was like there was three, then there was four, and then there was three again. I think there might have been five at one point. Yeah. So so the the interesting history of the IPG is that a lot of the a, a lot of other infractions have been rolled into game rule violation now. I mean, like failure to discard used to be its own infraction, right? Um, illegal game state used to be its own infraction, and that would be like some something has been illegal on the board for a while, like the creature with protection from green has been wearing rancor or something like that. That's um, that's that predates me, man. 
you know, while you while you mention that, Ricky, if you do decide to leave the game state as is, you should apply SBAs immediately. Yeah. Yes. Which we which so, we didn't mention, but so for that kind of situation, we we get to clean up those enchantments right now. Right, and that so that when it was it when the infraction was illegal game state, that was the fix. Was like it, it said in the infraction, you know, apply state based actions, etc. And then it got rolled into GRV. It was that that fix was added to the the partial fixes list, um, and then it's just recently been taken off. Recently, being like maybe in the last year or two. Because, like, applying state-based actions is a continuous thing that happens throughout the game. So it doesn't need to specifically be called out in our policies. Right. It's just a game rule that says, hey, that creature has protection from green. Like, this should not be on it. Put it in the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, so that that's, like, they've cl- they've cleaned up a lot of the partial fixes that were just cluttering things up. And, you know, it was a, a list of things that people needed to memorize, and it was too long. So now now it's much simpler. Okay. So let's talk about the first one. So the first partial fix we, we are allowed to do is if a player made an illegal choice or didn't make a choice. Um, so when they say choice in this means, they mean when something says choose a color or <clears throat> name a non-land card. like on Choose dragons or cons. Yes, that's a good one. Um, uh, I was thinking of Pithing Needle. Yeah, uh, Cavern of Souls sometimes fall victim to this. Yes. Uh, people would play it without choosing a type, or they would play it and they would name a, something that wasn't actually a type, like Titan. Yeah. Or what if they name something that is a type, like fish? Fish. Then. Oh, you, you're going to that. No, we're not going to that, but I'm holding them to that. But we're not going to that. Um, I really expected more argument back on that one. Okay, moving on. So now we can move on. If they don't make that choice, then that player is going to make that choice right now. So sometimes people balk at this one because you could be like, well, why does he get to make the pithing needle choice like five turns later when he knows what I'm playing? But well, well, you just now got to enjoy five turns of (laughs) Of no pithing needle. Yeah. Well, presumably you just realized it also, because if you've known for a while that he didn't name anything, that's a problem. Um, but yeah, so if you if you play your Citadel Siege and you name neither cons nor dragons or you name Smurfs or whatever. Why are you playing that card? I know. <laughs> if you're not naming. Right. Just going to cast this four mana do nothing. <laughs> right. Well, well like I, I play Pithing Needle and name nothing. I mean, well, that, that's a sideboard card. You put it in there specifically for something. Well, or... the needle thing usually comes up when they think they have named something that is not a real magic card, and then their opponent is, like, trying to get them, right? Like, oh, like, you named this thing. Like, I know what you're talking about, but it's not a real magic card, so I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, you know, like, yeah, if, if someone is like, name, name Jace the Bodybuilder with Pithing Needle, and then, like, several turns later, the opponent plays Jace the Mind Sculptor and goes to activate it. He's like, no, I Needle, you can't activate it. It's like, you said Jace the Bodybuilder. So that would be that would be a illegal choice rather than a failed choice. I think in my brain, I'm I'm now doing Jace with the the Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. accent. I think we're all doing like beefed up Jace. <laughs> well, yeah, I've, I've, I've TG Origins. Like, yeah, <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first. Jace, Jace the bodybuilder. Jace's Jace's younger brothers were Hans and Franz. Yes, <laughs> Jace, Hans, and Franz. All right, the next illegal, or the next partial fix. 
is if a player forgot to draw cards, discard cards, or return cards from their hands to another zone. Uh, so if something has to go from their hand to the library, usually it's hand to the top of the library, uh, you can go ahead and do that without a rewind. So someone casts Brainstorm and they're just really dumb and they only draw two cards and then they go into combat. Again, why are you playing this card? <laughs> well, it's a one-mana divination right now. Okay. <laughs> so that one's not as bad. Instant speed divination. But, and then the opponent's like, wait, you didn't draw that third card or return two cards. Oh, they didn't return. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and they call you over. We don't have to worry about rewinds or anything. I was just, I was using an example that hit two of these partial fixes at once. Um, you go ahead and have them draw the card and then go ahead and have them return two cards right then. Right. Yeah. And they, they don't, they don't draw, uh, if they don't draw for turn, that's, that's part of the partial fix that yeah. used to be considered that, that used to be in a different infraction. Mistrigger. Years ago. Uh, but it's now. Mistrigger. Mistrigger. The old yeah. days. I remember that. Because prior to the printing of Stifle, your card draw for the turn was a triggered ability. That's interesting. Because they left it they left it in there anyway, well after that. But it they, they left it for a short while, yeah. Fix it the same way. I played an onslaught block constructed where it was often the correct play to stifle their draw for the turn. <laughs> that is so what? weird. That is a silly, slow, grindy format. That's that's right when I started getting into it a se- uh, the second time. That's I was not. Wow, that's wow. I remember onslaught. That was man. My first uh, my first draft was at the onslaught pre release, which I went to uh, Seattle for because they still did the regional pre releases, and it was the worst draft deck ever in existence. <laughs> they still did drafts at pre releases. Oh yeah. So this uh, yeah, no, this was... one. So the fail the player forgot to draw used to be mistrigger. Um, forgot to discard used to be failure to discard. Yep. And then return cards from the hand to another zone. That's that's for brainstorm. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically that's that's just been generic game rule violation, I think. All right, and the third partial fix, third and final one, is if an object is changing zones and is put into the wrong zone. So something I see a lot is uh, people cast Erase on an enchantment and they put it in the <gasps> graveyard. I've seen <sighs> that infinitely. So something is changing zones and is put into the wrong zone and everybody knows the identity of the card that was moving and, and it can be moved and. with minimal disruption. Luckily, they removed the final and on this. Go ahead and put it in the correct zone. So so just as a as a major point for here, in order for this partial fix to apply, the card has to be, or the object has to be changing zones and go to the wrong zone. Yes. Okay. Not, oh, I've got a creature that should be dead. It's in the wrong zone. It's on the battlefield. It should be dead. It should be in the graveyard. It's in the wrong zone. Let's apply the partial fix of just picking up and putting it in the graveyard. Yeah. Note that bear cub example I was bringing up earlier. That, right. that, does, that does not work. That, that does, does not work. work. It has to be changing zones, most notably. Exile this, and the guy picks it up and puts it in the this and puts it in the graveyard. This is very narrow because it really the the common case is you put something in exile that should be in the graveyard. You put something in the graveyard that should be in exile, and the action of fixing that is just pick it up from one pile, put it down in the other. Yes, and you're done. Generally, that is the minimal disruption. Yep. Uh, Path to Exile was kind of like the poster boy of this. 
is they path, you pick it up, you put it in the graveyard. And really, they'd realize, hey, that thing should be exiled. And the judge would just come over and is like, well, why can't I just pick it up and move it two inches to the left and put it down? So a partial fix. Dan Stevens is out there being like, what if they put it in the anti-zone? Oh, that question. I just stop listening every time. I just, I'm like, no, stop bringing this up to me. That was, that was my very first GP. We go to lunch and he's like, hey, what if you got a card in the anti-zone? I was like, nobody would put a card in the anti-zone. And he's just like, no, they did willfully. It's like, what, what, what? <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't like, all right. So another partial fix. So we talked about the the fetch now partial fix some that people want to try to do. And we talked about why not to do it. But another one I think that is so tempting is uh, if somebody forgot to take damage, like from the pain land example earlier, uh, they forgot to lose life from something, maybe from a fetch land. And it's like three turns ago and we can't rewind to that point. People want to just be like, well, just fix the life totals. So why can't we do that? Or shouldn't we do that? I, so I'm actually trying to figure out a way that we can do it and i've been failing right which means we shouldn't because you have to you have to be able to craft this policy like just an example like let's say i have been attacking cj and he's down i believe he is at two life and i attack with my what what bear do you guys use bear Bear cub? cub i attack with my bear cub right and and somehow like a spectator has gone and gotten a judge and at this point the judge steps in and says okay uh, the spectator alerted me like tell me what's been going on okay we discover that there was a game rule violation and cj was not supposed to take you know four damage last turn he was only supposed to take three so he should actually be at one higher life he should be at three but i am in the middle of attacking with my bear cub that is a two two and I thought CJ was at two life. Yeah, and maybe I have a lethal. And if I know he's at three, like, I wouldn't have made this attack because, you know, he's got lethal attackers on his side yeah. and, and I need the blocker. So just partial fixing there and saying, oh, he's actually at three life just, like, completely changes the, the way that we have played this whole game up to this point. And, and that's, an, you know, that's, an, that's a bad example, right? But again, like, we have to have policies that that protect us from these bad examples where we do something and the the player is just like WTF like judge you just screwed me yeah okay so let me let me ask this how is how is that scenario uh different than oh say um i attack with the with the bear cub i attack cj with with uh uh with the bear cub and he has no blocks and uh uh I go, okay, well, you're dead. And he goes, no, I'm at two now, okay, because we have a life total discrepancy, okay? And you go and and then you go back and you figure out what's happened on, and CJ should, in fact, be at, uh, uh, should, was at, was at two prior to the Bear Cup attack, not four. So he would be at, at zero now. Is, doesn't that kind of feel like a partial fix? Yeah, and, and this is why I've been trying to like figure out if we can make a policy on this because like that's absolutely correct, Brian. Like, if there's a discrepancy between the two players, and we can determine that one of them is correct, we are kind of partial fixing the other player's life total understanding up or down to match w- what we believe is correct, and and that can often lead to situations where something like this will happen, where, where you've made a play under a wrong assumption. 
Um, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like I've, I've put a lot of thought into this and have not been able to come up with good answers. But again, I feel like in that situation, one of the players has correctly correct maintained right. the, yeah, the correct information. In the and first scenario, determine- both were wrong and they agreed to both be wrong. Yeah, right. And they, they've been playing under this wrong, wrong assumption. So it's time for episode Lee reminder to announce your life totals. Yeah, absolutely. Always announce your life total changes and then these things don't happen. Yep. Okay, let's dive into what I call the upgrade clause. So there is a situation where we can upgrade a game rule violation into a game loss. It is normally a warning, but there is a situation where it could be a game loss. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just trying to think of the best way to describe this. So uh, there are some so for most game rule violations. I don't know if we actually mentioned this, but for most game rule violations, the person that commits the infraction will receive a warning uh, for some of them. We upgrade this warning to a game loss. And the reason that we do that usually involves uh, something that the opponent had no way to stop. Um, you, probably because they it's from couldn't morph, right? see what happens. So morph is. Morph. There is a way you could still have this happen with Morph. Uh, recently, there was a change. So if I pick up a Morph card, put it in my hand uh, after you force away the card and I forget to reveal it, I'm going to get a warning and not a game loss. But if I play a Sultai Soothsayer face down, which doesn't have Morph, by the way, if I put play a Sultai Soothsayer face down thinking it's a different card... Uh, and then we go several turns into the game, and then I realize it, then I am actually still going to get a game loss because I played something that uh, that my opponent couldn't have verified I did wrong, right or wrong. Yeah, so so the game the game is set up, if you, if you think about it, like the game can be played at the kitchen table, okay, with no judges, no officials, no spectators, no nothing, just two people. And every you action... You say you don't want me in your kitchen, Brian? Well, you, but not these other guys. Um... Sorry. Uh, so, so you can you can you can you can play this game, and every action every action you take um, is the opponent can see it and verify that it actually happened. You know, you know, draw cards. I can see that you drew cards. Uh, all the search for basic land, reveal it and put it in your hand. You know, the revealing it is see what I'm doing is perfectly legal, and you're putting it in your hand. The upgrade. Uh, uh, applies to when you perform an error that your opponent was unable or never had an opportunity to be able to verify. Okay, so if you play a card that lets you search for a basic land and you search and you find the card and then you just put it in your hand right away, okay, you forget to reveal it for whatever, you've just performed an action that your opponent could not verify the legal and never could have verified the legality of. Um, that's specifically important because uh, cards like uh, uh, the, the, the tutors, like worldly tutor and stuff like that, which is uh, search, search your library for a creature card, reveal it, and then put it on top of your library. Yeah. Okay. So that creature card right there is on top of my library. Um, and there is a period of time where my opponent can say, hey, I'm supposed to know what that card is prior to you drawing it. Okay. So the, the specific, the specific um, clause in the IPG says, if the information was ever in a position where the opponent had the opportunity to verify the legality, and this is going to be relevant to the, to the, to the morph 
the morph claw. I'm do, I'm, I don't know why I'm doing air quotes. You can't see. <laughs> uh, it's going to apply to the to the the, the morph rule also. Um, do not upgrade the 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 penalty. Uh, do not upgrade the penalty and reveal the information as possible. So I've searched for a card with worldly tutor. Search for a creature. Put reveal and put it on top of my library. Search for a creature. Didn't reveal it. Put it on top of my library. You, the opponent, because we've said that both players are responsible for the game state, you have the opportunity now, you, the opponent, to say, hey, I'm supposed to know what that card is. And we don't want to create a situation where you, the opponent, can go, well, if I just wait until he draws that card, then it's going to be, then we've lost the information. I can't see what that card is. I don't know what it is. So we're going to get an upgrade to a game loss and I get a free win. Uh, We don't want to have a policy that creates cheaters. so in that particular case, yes, the card is sitting there on the top of the library. You have an opportunity to say, hey, I'm supposed to know what that card is. Um, and so therefore, in that particular case, you do not upgrade because yeah. it, the opponent had the opportunity. And and Morph is, is similar. And uh, Jess, I, th- I think you were, you were coming along to that. Yeah, I was uh, coming along to that is, is when you morph something, you know, it's if I force away your morph, it's not like I don't know what's going back to your hand, right? Um, so, so I definitely have the opportunity to stop you and say, uh, I'm going to morph, you know, force away this, make sure you reveal that. Um, or something to that effect. Yeah, so people tend to expand this upgrade beyond what it's actually meant for. Um, so as an example, say I have a coarser of crew fix out and I'm revealing the top card in my library. I cast divination because I just love divination for some reason. Uh, I draw my top card, which is revealed and I go ahead and draw the other one too. Right. Um, some people say, well, that's involving hidden information. So that might be an upgrade, but it's not because the illegal action there was not revealing the card, not, um, to prove it. You reveal, you have to reveal in order to prove the legality of yes. the play. Yes. So, so it's not divination lets you draw. You're you're drawing. You're supposed yeah. to draw. Okay. If it said, if divination was something like reveal the top card of your library, if it's a non-land card, put it in your hand, and you just picked it up and put it in your hand, sure, without revealing it, yeah. then that is you did not prove the legality of that play. You may or may not have been able to put that card in your hand. Yeah. Right. An excellent example of the opposite would be if someone attacks me with a goblin guide and I pick up a card and look at it without revealing it to my opponent and just put it in my hand. Yep. That would be that would be upgradable because I didn't reveal that it was a land. Yeah. And so along those same lines, if that card just just put into hand was his only card in hand, then we don't need to upgrade because we can still say, hey, that's the card, reveal it. But the moment there are more than one card in hand, we no longer know which one is which. Uh, despite what players will tell you, of course, they will say, hey... I drew this one uh, like we began almost began this episode with. You, you just can't take that as fact. So I have a comment about Jess mentioned earlier that the, the morph rule, as we call it, has changed recently. Right. It used to be a game loss for not revealing your morph at the end of a game or if it, you know, is returned to your hand. And then they changed it to a warning on Friday of Grand Prix Baltimore. It was funny because Toby was like immediately like change from game loss to warning. And I actually pinged him on IRC and was like, 
we're running grinders here at Grand Prix Baltimore. When you say immediately, do you mean immediately? And he's like, yes. <laughs> so like in the middle of tournaments, like we changed this rule, which is interesting. Um, but but then manifest came out, right? And then you don't like you don't want to game loss someone from not revealing their manifest if it right. returns to hand or at the end of the game because it could be anything. Like you don't have to prove the legality. Mm-hmm. So they they claimed that the change was due to feedback received from players, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it was actually a change that they knew they were going to make based on manifest and sold it as based on your feedback. We are going to change this. See, I argue that manifest wouldn't have applied to this upgrade class right. anyway because you're not verifying legality. Right. The whole the whole purpose. But, of I, the- but I think that would have been confusing to judges and to players. Oh, with well, some bad. There game are a lot losses. of yeah. There are many, many players who are of the opinion that you don't have to reveal cards that were manifested. Yeah, they don't think it should yeah, happen that's at true. all, and uh, they, they they don't understand why you still have to reveal. So, like that that is a that's an infraction that still that comes up pretty frequently, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, the I, reason and I don't the... think we want to get into these debates with players of. Like, was that a morph or a manifest? And if players know that if it's a morph, it's a game loss and a manifest, it's not, you know, they're going to try to angle shoot and, and lie or, you know, conveniently right. forget some facts. I just did air quotes, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the re- the reason why you reveal they, you reveal the, the manifest cards is to keep the rules the same so that yeah. everyone learns the same. However, with the... To make it a habit, basically. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fine. All right. One last bit for game rule violation before we wrap it up. And that is the double game rule violation clause. So there are situations where both players can end up with a game rule violation. Basically what has to happen is I cast a spell that causes you to do something illegal and it has to actually cause you to do it. So like path to exile is like the poster child of this. I path to exile your guy and you put it in the graveyard. So that was my effect. The path to exile told you, you to do something, told you to do something. And you made the mistake by putting it in exile or graveyard. That means we both will receive a game rule violation. So this is another pretty narrow clause that I think people um, people like to over apply this one. Yes. Um, there are lots of situations where people try to say uh, this comes up most often, I think. When uh, when when a player has an effect that changes the rules of the game, uh, yeah. like say oh, for yeah. example, you have a Graft Digger's Cage, uh, oh, and your opponent shit. what what's Defensa. that? Oh, I'm gonna finish by examples. So you have a Graft Digger's Cage, and your <laughs> opponent uh, fetches up a Dryad Arbor, which can't come into play because you have a dry a, a, a Graft Digger's Cage. And we're not going to give the Graft Digger's Cage player a warning here because their effect isn't causing something to happen. Yeah, it, it is not the one telling the opponent to perform an action. It's whatever right. fetch they used is performing the action. So, yeah, this is basically just Path to Exile, Erase, similar cards. But the, so I, I've had an email discussion with Toby, and he actually screwed this up and said Anafenza was a double GRV because it, <laughs> it feels so similar to Path to Exile and Erase. You didn't exile something that was supposed to be exiled, right? So, and my card said it should be exiled, but it's a replacement effect, and that just right. like kind of puts everything a, a, a tilt 
because like how how responsible are you for a replacement effect that's changing the rules of the game so and to read the clause we're talking about is uh part of anapenzo reads if a creature card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere exile it instead yeah and and the 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 thing about the double grv clause it doesn't say this in the ipg um but through discussion and tovi's blog it's been confirmed that it is meant for when both players are actively involved in the error like i cast a spell that forces you to do something and you do it wrong and an offensa is is a passive effect like it's saying if something happens like this you have to change it and that that is not an active involvement or or thalia where you have to or like where you have to pay an extra mana yeah for something that's that's another yes i have an effect that's caused you to do a grv because you cast your spell for the wrong mana but my effect is lack of a better word passive yeah and I, I don't know like this is something we might need to change or adjust a little because i think understanding on it is still a little sketchy yeah although they they corrected it not too long ago and i think it's a lot better now because i i certainly had uh difficulties with it before the updated wording uh so the exact wording right now is if a player takes an action called for by an effect controlled by his or her opponent so i think like they're going as far as they can to try to scream action like you have to do something called for by an effect controlled by his or her opponent right right but it, it, i don't think it goes far enough to clarify that point because you say an effect well well nfenza is an effect sure uh, but the action uh, nfenza is, is an effect for an action as this far well so anyway the the other i guess the 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 final final thing i just want to bring up is kind of put this at the end is generally if you if you have committed a game rule violation okay and it's not being caught immediately the opponent is probably going to get a failure to main game maintain game state yeah which is is basically the way the way i describe that that penalty to to help cement it in people's mind is and you let him yeah. You get a GRV because you did X, and you get a failure to maintain game state because you let him. Okay. Um, so This is something that players, uh, especially players who haven't been playing competitive events very long, can sometimes get upset about. Yeah. Because they don't realize that, um, oh, they, they, it's my opponent's fault this happened. It, it is, but it's your, they, they don't realize it's both players' responsibility to keep the game state clean and uh this just helps reinforce that they have to do that as well uh it also helps us track it if somebody is repeatedly making this kind of mistake but sometimes players are afraid that they're going to get end up with game losses for getting this infraction and i've never seen that happen so uh, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that yeah and not not only does it does it reinforce that they need to 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 pay attention it it enforces that they need to pay uh, attention because otherwise if you didn't even have this penalty then Ooh, i'm not paying attention to anything that my opponent does at all ever i don't have to there's no there's no incentive uh well i mean there is but um uh this provides a, a the extra incentive to pay attention and remind you that you are responsible all right Game rule violation. Done. <laughs> Woohoo! Hey, it was, it was longer than I was expecting. So let's do some emails. We've been skipping them for a bunch of shows, and we have Ricky on, and maybe we can get an old-style mailbag from Ricky. Do you guys even know? <laughs> like, have I ever told a story on the air of where that came from? 
If you've not told that story on the air. Okay. So there's a show on ESPN uh, called Pardon the Interruption, abbreviated PTI. It is it is basically like two people arguing about sports topics, and they had they usually have like a minute for each topic with a clock in the corner. Um, if you go back and watch like the original Magic TVs on Channel Fireball, like I, I think maybe or no no maybe it was above the curve on Star City. Like they tried this format with Magic. Um, so anyway, on that show they have a mail segment, and they have this like cartoony mailbox on, on the set with like googly eyes. And they, they open the mailbox and they pull a, you know, quote unquote letter out of the mailbox. And then they read that letter. And every time they open the, the front of the mailbox, you know, the mouth, there is a sound effect that goes, mail time. And that's where I got that from. <laughs> so let's go to the first email. Okay. It's from Kyle. He says, my opponent activates Aetherlings plus one minus one ability. I cast uh, turn turn to frog, I believe, in response, making it a zero one frog. Does it die? Is it still Aetherling? <laughs> is it still Aetherling? Yeah, this is actually a pretty common question. Uh, what, what does that is, mean? What it is means it is, is it still called Aetherling? Yes. A lot of people don't realize because well, this comes up from uh, things that make tokens. The token name is the same as its type. So when something changes something to being something else like a a frog they're thinking it's kind of like a copy effect which it isn't so it's not named frog it's still named aetherling but its type is frog and it's a zero one and then we apply the plus one minus one effect and you have a one zero which means it's dead it's dead uh one correction there it's a one one frog before we apply the effect turn to frog makes it a one one oh i'm sorry his email says it's a zero one i was just reading that uh Oh, he says turn. He casts turn in response, making it a zero one frog. Oh, okay. It's turned. It's turn, turn and burn. Turn. It's the turn half of turn and burn. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a typo. It's turn. No, it's... no, it's the turn half of half of turn and burn. Okay, so I see. I I read the last oh, part okay. of the frog. No, it's a weird now. No, yeah, it's, it's a weird. So weird now. It's not a frog. It's a weird. So I I didn't weird. even realize. I just thought he. I just thought it was a typo. <laughs> that's funny. So it's an aether weird. Yeah. So it's still dead. It could be a weirdling. It's weird dead. Link. Nothing else matters. Weird dead. Aether frog weird? Aether frog weird. I thought this was like a philosophical question. Like, is it still Aetherling? <laughs> am I, if is, I, it's if an I Aetherling get, without so abilities. So we're discussing the platonic. If I get turned into a frog, am I still Ricky Hayashi? I don't, I don't know. know. Or am I Frog Thor? Oh, I was thinking Frog Thor. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the best Thor. All right. <laughs> Wait, what about the uh, the horse one? Beta Ray Bill. That's him, yep. There are rumors that he will be in the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh, boy. I had I had a, a conversation at GP Charlotte with Ron Foster. He was there, and we're, we're up on stage. I find out that he's a big comic book fan, and I just say, what's the deal with the horse Thor? <laughs> I got probably a 25-minute lecture on Beta Ray Bull or Bill. Beta Bull Ray or... <laughs> Red Bull Ray or whatever, um, and the whole time I'm like, this has been a really long time, but he's he's a Watsy employee uh, in charge of like GPs and stuff, so I better be nice. Uh huh. Oh, that's that's nice. The the history of the hammer. <laughs> Why oh, is it okay. different? Why is yeah. it different? <laughs> How heavy is it? Okay. All right. Our next email comes from TC. He says, if I have a humble defector, so that's that new bro. 
who uh, taps and draws two cards. Target opponent gains control of Hover Defector. Activate this ability only during your turn. So the, the cost there is solely to tap. So if I have Humble Defector and I try to make it fight using Hunt the Weak on a 2-3 and I activate Defector in response to draw two cards, hmm. does the fight happen? So Hunt the Weak reads, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Then that creature fights target creature you don't control. So your hunt, hunt the weak, since it's target creature you control, and you are giving your humble defector uh, away, he is no longer a creature you control. Yeah, so now one of the two targets of the fight is illegal, which means we don't do the fight. Womp or, womp. or put a counter on it, if that mattered. Cool. I thought that was a cool question. I did, get cool to question. See, I get, did get to see cool uh, humble defector shenanigans at the Pro Tour this last weekend. And by cool, do you mean confusing? Uh, I saw um, somebody was playing it in their Splinter Twin deck. Yes. So, so let's say you cast Splinter Twin on your Humble Defector. You tap it to make a copy, and then you tap the copy to draw two cards, right? Uh-huh. And then so you give it to your opponent. What happens at the end of the turn? You exile it. Okay. Now let's say I have Humble Defector and a Kiki-Jiki. This does I not work because you can't sacrifice it. I can't. So I tap Kiki Jiki to make a copy of Humble Defector. I tap that to draw two cards and give it away to my opponent. They get to keep the token. Yeah. What? Yeah. Nice. But I also saw. I also saw what I saw that was really cool. Because old not, templating. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If it said if it's because it says sacrifice it at the beginning, you're the controller of the effect, so you're the one that's trying to sacrifice it. If it said something like its controller sacrifices it, then right. Or, it would... or Splinter Twin, which just says exile it, and it doesn't care who has yeah. it, just exile it. What I actually saw is... that I was getting at was uh, he he taps it to draw two cards, and then this player cast. Deceiver Exarch to untap it and draw two cards again before he gave it away. Um, so he, he got to draw lots of extra cards. Yeah, I like that play a lot. It's nice. All right. Next, from Chris Meyer. Oh, you guys would probably like to know the questions, huh? That helps. Nah. Sometimes. You're all really good. You know what's up. I don't. So the last question, I just saw this. Uh, it talks about, you know, fighting the humble detector de de defector against a 2-3 Example, Mardu Horse Chief. Didn't notice that. The old horse, horse chief. <laughs> I like that. I kind of want to have a horse chief now. This is long. This next question is long. Well, it's three different questions, but I'll break it up for you guys. Don't worry. All right. This ain't my first rodeo, Ricky. You know, if they made a race of horse people, do you think they'd all have horse manship? Maybe. I think those are called centaurs. Yeah. No, horse person ship. All right, so plant So four. if you go to a rodeo, would you actively be like, this is my first rodeo? Yes, I would say that. Oh, absolutely. I, I would say that if I was going to a rodeo. I, I'd probably say that on my second and third trip to the rodeo, too, because no, they, they would, won't know. I would exclaim that it wasn't my first rodeo. Oh, okay. People need to know. All right, so the first question from Chris is about supplant form, which reads... Return target creature to its owner's hand. You put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of that creature. If you do this to an animated planeswalker, such as Sarkin or Gideon, do you? What do you get, basically? This is a yeah. I've gotten this question a lot. Yeah, we used I'm to do really, Vault and clone. I mean, I'm really surprised at how often this comes up and how many different answers I've heard. But to set the record straight, you get a planeswalker that is not animated that enters play with the number of loyalty counters printed on the original card. Yeah. So what? where are you getting different answers from? 
just uh, various people that are answering this question incorrectly. I've seen on the Internet, no, 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 like official source has said this, but I see a lot of people discussing it and people getting it wrong. Uh, So just to be clear, this is how it works. This is just straight up copy effects, right? Yeah, it is. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people think because the card says creature on it that you have to copy it as a creature and not as a planeswalker. Yeah. This came up like clone and mutavolt and yeah other cards we've certainly talked about the same situation but different cards same situation a lesson in um not learning interactions but learning rules for people out there in the world right so you can apply them to new interactions as they come yeah. come about all right i think i'll tackle answering this next one because it's it's a little more complex but it's, why does this one look familiar i don't know so it's about Archbond, which reads, choose target creature. Whenever that creature is dealt damage this turn, it deals that much damage to each other creature and player. So note that trigger there. So, <clears throat> Alfred is attacking Naomi with a bear cub. Naomi blocks with her Sultai Emissary. So when Sultai Emissary dies, it's a 1-1. Uh, you manifest the top card of your library. Before mm-hmm. combat damage, Naomi casts Archbond, targeting the Sultai Emissary. When everything resolves, will Naomi control a manifest or not? So he's asking, basically, will the damage from the Archbond kill the Emissary? Oh. So this one is really testing the difference between when something triggers and when it goes on the stack, which are two different yeah. situations. So when the, uh, what gets Archbond cast on it? The Sultai Emissary. When the Sultai Emissary takes the damage, Archbond will trigger, but it doesn't yet go on the stack. Then we check state-based actions, and state-based actions see a Sultai Emissary with two damage marked on it because it blocked a bear cub. So Sultai Emissary is going to die, therefore triggering Sultai Emissary. Then we check state-based actions again to see if anything else needs to happen. Nothing does. And then finally, it's time to put triggers on the stack. And so we have two triggers waiting to go on the stack. We have Archbond and Sultai Emissary. So as the uh, controller of both triggers, Naomi can actually choose to stack them however she chooses. Naomi plays a lot of games of magic. Have you guys noticed that? She's in a lot of questions. But Naomi can stack them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she's almost almost as common as that other judge guy. That other judge, yes. Uh, but she could choose to stack them however she'd like, and she probably wants to stack them where the damage happens first, then she gets the manifest. Yeah. So there's a little lesson on triggers. Now, if yeah. if a different person controlled, if, if the triggers weren't controlled by the same person, mm-hmm. they would go on the stack in active player, non-active player order. So Naomi's trigger uh, would go on the stack on top of any of the active players triggers so if you change you can get a different result if you change whose turn it is and who's casting arc bond and that kind of stuff all right one last question from chris and then one more email so if you so he's asking if you control Machaeus the unhallowed which gives all your uh, non-human creatures undying and you have a manifest or you know a face down creature that was manifested what happens when the manifest dies if it's a non-creature permanent? So say it's a land. It's going to come back with a plus one, plus one counter on it. That doesn't make sense. It's a land. Oh, lands can have counters on them. Yeah, they can. Like, uh, oh, what is that? What's that? Uh, Raging the red green. green? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> I remember because sometimes people would be like, well, lands can have counters. And they're like, well, what about Raging Ravine? Like, that's its whole mechanic. Right. Yeah. So it's going to come back. Uh, Machaeus only cares what it was when it died. 
or undying actually only cares what it was when it died, which it was a creature. So but what creature. if it's a lightning bolt? If it's a lightning bolt, it will stay in the graveyard because instants and sorceries can never, ever, ever enter the battlefield. Does it still get its plus one, plus one counter? No. Like that Skullbriar? Skullbriar the lightning bolt? <laughs> no, it, it enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter. Oh. So, sorry. I do like the idea, though, that it stays there but and gets a counter. <laughs> it gets the blood, my lightning bolt. Has it. My brainstorm has yeah, a plus one, plus one just counter. Just sitting there in your graveyard. All right, one more question from Calvin. He says, concerning double face cards in tournaments, if I control a double face card, let's say Huntmaster of the Fells, is the Ravager of the Fells side of the card public information? And the rest of his questions are basically, if his opponent asks, does he have to show it to him and does the REL matter? If his opponent asks, what's the back of Huntmaster of the Fells? So, the... the the back side of the card, the uh, I'm sorry, the back face of the card, the nice is uh, as we call it. There, there's <laughs> that's not what we call it. There's no rule for that. Uh, the the back face of the card uh, is I called it the night side in one of his blogs. That seems pretty official to me. Is the uh, <laughs> is the uh, totally lost where I was now. Uh, okay. <laughs> So basically, it's part of the Oracle text, right? So if I looked up the Oracle text for Huntmaster of the Fells, I would get the Oracle text for Huntmaster of the Fells and Ravager of the Fells. So you're not going to be able to ever hide this information from your opponent because if they need the te- need to find out what it is, they're just going to call a judge to ask for the Oracle text of Huntmaster of the Fells and get the Oracle text for the whole card. So, uh, but do it's not you public have information. To, do do you have to show it? Well, no. You are not required to help your opponent figure out what the other side says, but they're able to get the information anyway. So there's no reason to try and keep it hidden. Now, at regular REL, it's a little bit more strict because while uh, you you don't have to, you you can't misrepresent or you can't tell them just part of the card. You have to basically tell them the whole card if you tell them any of it. Okay. But uh, yeah. well, so the 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 back the the back side the, the yeah, back face the front face and back back <laughs> the back face technically the back information face, yeah. yeah competitive and at regular REO all derived information is free free right and uh, just is, just don't be a, a don't jerk. be a yeah don't be a jerk like i i hate it i hate it when people ask for oracle text no, I'm, so I'm going to change my tune. I like it when a player asks for oracle text on something that they've seen from the opponent, right? Like maybe they're sideboarding and they're like, can I get the oracle text on this card that I saw in the game? And the opponent's just like, oh, here, here's the card. Like while I'm shuffling, like just read it. Like that, I like that. Like you should do that. Like why you can't hide this information. You should be helpful to your opponent. Like you don't have to help them win. But this is just like this is not the part of the game you should be angle shooting. Right. This there works was, great if it's not legacy. There was a there was a, a it was a call it a GP player calls me up and he asks me for the casting cost of Armada Worm. This is you know like a year ago or something. And he's like he goes I'd like I'd like the 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 casting cost of Armada Worm, please. I know he's got one in his hand, but he won't tell me what it is. And oh. the guy just looks at him and says, "I don't have to tell you. That's derived information. I don't have to help you with that." Oh my goodness! 
And and he was just like he was just like, look, you just they actually started to get into an argument. He's like, look, you're just wasting time. You can show it to me. I saw you draw it, or I saw you get it out of your graveyard just two turns ago. He's like, I don't have to tell you if you need want that information, you should call a judge. And he's like, that's what I'm doing. And I'm just like, guys, guys, guys. <laughs> So, and then, like the player at the, in the next match over has an armada worm, and he's like, "Here you go, man." <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, if you out there want to contact us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast, or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. Shocker, I know. You said judgecast a whole lot of times. I know, I do. I don't think anyone actually listens to that part. We're on Tumblr, judgecast.tumblr.com, I think. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. Um, Ricky, follow yeah. us on Instagram. Yeah, well, man, now we have to make an Instagram, too. You know it. <laughs> uh, Ricky, do you have anything you want to plug? Any contact info you want out there? Anything like that? Do I have anything I want to plug? Well, so we're here talking about backups. I am almost done with an article on backups. Oh. So I'm just sending it out to a few people to proofread and give me some last-minute thoughts, and then maybe we'll see it in, I don't know, a week or so. we got to get some nice pictures for it and stuff, and that'll be on the, the Magic Judges article blog, I guess. Yeah. I so, also have two other blogs, don't you? I have the feedback blog, which has been inactive but may soon revive. I feel like you only do this, Brian, because you know – then I have to add them to the show notes. <laughs> like I feel like it's intentional. That would that would be what magic, magic judges. Let's let's figure it's out what this is. Called the feedback loop. I can find it, Ricky. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but I want people to be able to, to just like not have to go to the show notes. <laughs> Blogs right. So that's like the root of everything, and then slash feedback. And I'm sure it's like slash articles to get to the articles and like slash uh, cats to get to CJ's blog. Uh, judgecast.com slash cats redirects somewhere. It's, it's just a little joke <laughs> that's been in there. I knew you had something. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, knew you had something. Uh, I'm on Twitter at MTG Wikipedia. Ah, uh, yes. It's like the website, but with an R. Oh. I keep trying. Maybe I'll make another attempt this year to get just at Wikipedia from the guy who never uses it. Yeah. That guy's the worst. And I don't know. Um, I have I have some upcoming projects that maybe will come to fruition if I'm not too lazy. Could could become a rival, rival podcast. What? Could, uh, this is over. Yeah, yeah, I'm here to plug a different podcast that doesn't even have a name yet. <laughs> So go check it out. Oh, man. Oh, no. Oh. Wolf and my sheep. Yeah. <laughs> Our sheep are wolved. <laughs> yes. I, I've also been thinking about maybe doing some streaming of Magic Online. Jeez. And in addition to, you know, just playing Magic Online, obviously there would probably be a lot of judgy talks going on, telling people stories about Grand Prix and stuff. So, yeah. So... Speaking of articles, I have an article up for article of the year that I forgot about because I'm going to lose thoroughly. But maybe I can leverage our listeners to make me win instead. <laughs> if you go to judge.wizards.com, there's a little poll. If you're a level one, there's a little poll on the right. And you have to you have to vote through like three other pools of articles. But eventually you can vote for mine. But I'm up against like Kim Warren and Eric Levine last I checked. And that's a 
that's a tough crowd to beat. Yeah, I have never won Article of the Year because they do not seem to accept articles from like non-official places. Uh, so like none of my articles for Star City or Channel Fireball were ever up for Article of the Year. It's unfortunate. Yeah, well. I, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't write articles for the the accolades of I know. that old. I was surprised to see my name in the list. I was like, why? I mean, you guys should vote for me. I will. Well, <laughs> I will generated... go read all of the articles. And yes. if yours is my favorite, I will vote for Please it. Please read the three. That is my it promise. It generated a lot of comments on the on the forums, CJ. It certainly did. Yep. Apparently, there's some people that don't like uh, puns in uh, head judge announcements. Yeah, I guess I guess they don't like what? this show. Yeah. Right. They, they, no one commented on anything else other than CJ had a paragraph on like, you know, hey, maybe add some levity to your head yeah. announcements. Players are there to have fun. Let's have fun. And then all the comments were things like, I don't I don't I don't think it's appropriate or it's unprofessional. To... What? All right. I'm going to go check that out yeah. later. Go check that out. The feedback from players is like great. They love the. Puns. Oh, I know. They love it. They love it. They, they all love remember it. They love it when it's bad, too. They, yeah. It's been better when they're bad puns. Yeah, yeah some people something like to, are just to commiserate together over. Yeah, they're waiting to boo. They're just like, "Oh, yep. that was a good one." I can't boo, and then they're disappointed. <laughs> All right, so before we sign off, I'll, I'll tell the joke I told in my last PPTQ. Um, why did the lettuce blush? Because it's all the salad dressing. Wow! If you could see my smile. <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. That's good, right? Really good. Did that's... you give yourself an unsporting conduct minor right after that? <laughs> No, I, uh, I, I've had, it's, it's not a joke per se, but I, I, I tell the, I tell the players, uh, you know, it's like, all right, when you call for a judge, raise your hand, you know, call for a judge, leave your hand up because if you call for a judge and don't raise your hand, then you're just trolling. No. And that tends to get a laugh because Florida and we're all a bunch of trolls. In yeah. Oh. My favorite head judge announcement from recent tournaments I've been at was by one uh, Jeffraham Foster. Ah, Jeffraham Foster, yes. Yeah. His his announcement started with, hi, I'm Jeff Foster. That's what we call him for short. Um, I know you're all here to play Magic, so I'm going to keep this short. And I just, like, I wanted to cheer for that. And he did keep it short. I think it's very important to establish that, like, that's that's what we're here for is to get them to play magic and help them with that yes and my article covers that as well but why would anyone mention that anyway we need to wrap this bad boy up so ricky thank you very much for being on we, we always yeah, no problem having you guys on whenever we can well i will keep coming on until i have my own podcast yes, your own competing <laughs> podcast <laughs> you don't know you if it's competing. start one of those someday Jeez, man I've been playing a lot recently, so maybe it'll be about like playing magic. Oh man, that would be maybe, great. Maybe I, that that would be really great. Are you thinking of doing it with somebody else? <laughs> All right. So now that you've taken Jess from us too, <laughs> um, so I have a question. Okay. Before you before you get off the air, All sorry, right. just real quick. So we've got this exemplar program thing going on. Oh yeah. And I just wanted to ask, uh, Ricky, I know I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but um, one thing we've talked about asking our guests moving forward, and you're going to get to be the first one, is um, if I had to put you on the spot right now to pick somebody for Exemplar, do you have somebody in mind and why? Any judge. Just one? 
just just one. It, it doesn't have to. Obviously, you could pick more than one, I guess. But but just one. Somebody not on the show, uh, and oh, well, uh, you have just... to give us a reason. Hmm. So say wait. So that's actually that's a good question, um, and I will take this chance opportunity to plug my other passion, my other back, which is feedback, uh, specifically judge center reviews. And one thing I have been doing in some of my reviews since the exemplar program has started is if, if I have, if I saw something at a tournament that was really good, you know, A, write a review about it and say, hey, you did this thing that was good. And then also mention, I am considering this interaction as for, for one of my exemplars in the next wave. And that, I, you know, I think emphasizes how good the interaction was that I saw and then also gives me something that I can go back to and, and when I'm reading through my reviews go, oh yeah, like this was one of the things I was considering. Um, so yeah, based on that, I can tell you one that I've been considering is Stephen Briggs. He's a level three and the regional coordinator of the Midwest region. I was at Grand Prix Nashville and there was a very, very contentious situation. Uh, we had to get Scott Marshall, who was one of the Burgundies, over to this match uh, because the players, uh, Grand Prix Nashville was a team sealed event. And one of the match in one of the matches, actually, a player failed to reveal their morph. Um, this was when it was still a game loss. And then so there was disagreement over that. Like, did he fail to reveal morph? Did he not? Because like the, the player had already begun shuffling. And then during the course of the players arguing about this before the judge could get involved, one of them, uh, the, as the story was told, was one of them like threw a card at the at, at his opponent. Like they were arguing, and the guy was just like, "Well, screw you," or something like that, and threw a card at him. So then, you know, it's escalated to this point of potential aggressive behavior. And uh, one, uh, so Scott Marshall came over and got involved and was talking to one of the players, and he was very, very angry. Uh, you know, and he he started pacing around. So so Scott talked to him, and then he started to talk to the opponent separately to get his side of the story. And the other guy started pacing around, like the whole like play play area, like going around the dealer booths. And Stephen Briggs like sees this and comes over, and he he anchored the guy is how I would describe it. He just started talking to him and say, hey, man, what's going on? Like, I, I see that you're upset. Do you want to talk about it? And and he wasn't even originally, like, involved in this ruling or anything. He just saw that there was this very angry player, came over, started talking to him, and got his mind off of magic and got his mind off of what was going on, started talking to him about football. Uh, and, and I think it was that the player had said something that tipped this off. Like, he made a reference to football and... Um, Steven picked up on this and said, hey, speaking of football, like, you know, blah, 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 I'm a Detroit Lions fan or something like that. And they started talking about that. And I'm not going to say that the player got less upset because he was still pretty angry. But but again, he was anchored and he wasn't directing his anger at his opponent anymore. Like he was just kind of venting to Steven about the situation. And, and I think interactions like that are very important in magic and in, in judging. And so that, that is one of the ones I'm considering. All right. Thank you for awesome. sharing that. 
Thank you for that. Awesome. Good good job in that situation, Stephen Briggs, because that those get dicey. Yeah. And that yeah. that's one of the things that we 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 talk about is you need to when you start having players and getting upset and stuff like that, you need to gain control of the situation. You don't want to let it spiral out of control. And that's a that's a great example of a of a of something uh, of a time that it worked very well. Yeah, and it's a situation where Scott was already having difficulty because obviously the other player was very upset as well. Uh, the teammates, the two other teammates on both sides were still playing. So they're at the table. They're trying to play magic and trying to like listen in on this ruling and, and interject like, oh, no, like this is actually what happened. And so it was very difficult for Scott to, you know, control all of the elements, especially this guy who's just pacing around in the background fuming. So, yeah, it was it was a great job there to to anchor him and then just give him give him an outlet to vent that was not directed at the opponents. All right. Well, Ricky, I want to thank you once again for being on. This is not me hastily ending the show because it's going way long. Uh, I'd like to thank all the listeners for listening. And my name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman. I don't have to tell you my converted mana cost. That's derived information. If you want it, you should call it judge. And I'm Ricky Hayashi. And I keep it back to the future. (laughs) Where we're going, we don't need roads. Sure. Sure. Whatever. (laughs) We actually still do need roads. Yeah, we did. Was he ever on Gargoyles? Huh? Yeah, he's just saying LeVar Burton was. Yeah. So Gargoyles had, yeah, a ton of Because everyone was on Gargoyles. Yeah. Yep, there's Jonathan Frank. Oh, uh, uh, Deanna Troy was uh, Demona. (laughs) Demona for 28 episodes. Oh, yeah, the the Lady Gargoyle. Yeah. Uh, Brent Spiner was Puck. Wow. Oh, Tim Curry? I did not know all these people were on Gargoyles. Uh, Michael Dwarf was Coldstone, yeah. By the way, my understanding is they were all grotesques, not Gargoyles. A gargoyle has a water spout. <laughs> oh, in case, in case anyone was wondering. Wow. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. Here we go. Gargoyles had Ohura. Ohura. <laughs>